I don't know who put this stand up here so tall. Uh, uh, that's probably Aubrey. <laughs> well, does it look and feel like Gateway Taze Valley today? It does. Yeah, love it. Steve's not here. Brian's not here. Piper's gone. Uh, I kind of feel like the guy down the road that has George Washington, the original hatchet that George Washington used to chop down the cherry tree. It's got five new heads and four new handles, but it's still the, the real hatchet. Well, welcome to Gateway Taze Valley today. And it is Gateway Taze Valley because the God in heaven, who said wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in their midst. So those guys may not be here, but you know who is? <laughs> the one that counts. The one that matters. And today, the old dog is out of retirement for another, <laughs> for two more services. And uh, this is one of those. Uh, but today, we're wrapping up our uh, four-week series on villains. Biblical villains, but not so much villains that we normally think of the bad guys or the bad, uh, the bad people. But it's this uh, part of us that is sometimes, and oftentimes, in opposition to God. We started with the heart, that villain inside of our chest that dupes us into thinking that we're something we're not. Our sins aren't as bad as other people's sins. Uh, maybe make excuses for those weaknesses or failures in our life. And the bad thing is from this heart springs all of these other villains. James, or Jeremiah rather, the 17th chapter, verse 9, tells us about this heart. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And then two weeks ago, we talked about something that has this potential for uh, unending evil. And it resides right inside our mouth. It's the tongue. And we read from James chapter 3, verse 6 about the tongue. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets, on, uh, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. It is itself set on fire by hell. And then last week, the third week of our series, we talked about something that could be used for great good, that's disguised often as good, something uh, admirable, something that we try to obtain, and that's... Uh, uh, a, a pile of money. We talked about the love of money. And Paul writes about that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, where he writes, For the love of money is a root, a root of all evil, or all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Well, today I want to talk about this fourth villain, another villain, and give you some hints as to what this might be. I know last week we had a major hint as to what this villain is. Well, before we specifically identify it, I want to give you some more hints to see if we can really nail this down. This is the villain that keeps you from uh, apologizing when you know you're in the wrong. This is the villain that keeps you from apologizing when you know you're 10% in the wrong and somebody else is 90% in the wrong. It keeps you from celebrating somebody else's success. Keeps you from being honest with yourself and keeps you from being honest with others. 
It's that thing within you that causes you to have to have the final word. It's that thing in you that causes you to buy things simply to impress people who aren't looking one bit at your life. Um, causes you to exaggerate your social profile, uh, touch up your pictures, embellish your accomplishments, and exaggerate uh, your resume. So what is this evil villain? Yeah, Steve told me to say it's your mother-in-law, but I'm not <laughs> going to do that. You guys are right on the money. You're on this one. It, it's pride. It's pride. And maybe you've heard the old story about the FBI agent that goes to the Montana rancher, drives up to the house, nobody there, so he goes around to the barn and he finds the rancher back there. Bill, you ever lived in Montana? Uh, not a Montana rancher, just a horse guy. Uh, drives up to the bar, goes to the barn and, and finds the rancher. And he says, I'm here to look for uh, drugs, gr illegally growing uh, drugs on, on the property. And the, and the farmer says, well, that's, that's fine by me. Just don't go look in that field over there. And uh, that just infuriated the FBI guy. He just explodes and says, Mr., I have the backing of the, the government of the United States with me. And he takes his badge and shoves it right in front of that farmer's face. And he says, you see this badge? This means that I could go anywhere I want to go on anybody's property at any time. No questions asked, no answers given. Do you understand that? The rancher nods his head and politely goes about his business. And about 15 minutes later, he hears from that field over there loud screams. And he looks over and there is that FBI agent running with all of his might. And right behind him was a bull. And he goes to the fence and you can see this agent is terrified. The rancher drops his tools, goes to the fence and he hollers as loud as he can, Your badge! Show him your badge! <laughs> Pride will do that to us, won't it? Pride will make us think, I've got this. I, I, I don't need any help. I can do this. And throughout Scripture, pride is seen as a villain in God's eyes. As a matter of fact, it's pretty clear that God hates pride. And I know that's a strong word. And we don't use that word a lot. But I don't know what other word to use because the Bible uses that word. Listen to Proverbs 8 verse 13. The writer says, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Now let's understand the pride we're talking about is not the kind of pride, uh, the way we use pride when we say I'm proud of my kids, I'm proud of my job, I'm proud of my, my photography, I think this picture's pretty good, or I'm proud of my church. That's not the kind of proud or the use of the word that we're talking about, but rather it's that inflated sense of self-importance. It's that self-absorption that resides in all of us to a degree. And if it's left unchecked, it creates this idea of pride. And let's, let's level set here, okay? Let's look from a foundation of Scripture to be... To, to build this message of pride and to look at it as the villain that God knows it to be. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 5 says this, The Lord detests all the proud of heart, 
Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Psalm 105, or 101 rather, verse 5, says, Whoever has uh, haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. In the New Testament, we read from James, the fourth chapter, verse 6, where James writes, he gives us more grace. That's why the Scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Now this word opposes, the Greek word for this opposes is a military term, and it means to range in battle against, or to resist as a soldier might resist an enemy, or to square off as in squaring off in battle. James is saying in this verse that God is ranging at war with, or He's resisting, or He's squaring off against those who are proud. I know me, and I got a feeling I know how you are in this regard. If you were to find yourself in a boxing ring or in the octagon, and you would look across to see your opponent, only to realize that your opponent is Almighty God, you would instantly realize this is not a match or a contest that I'm going to win. You see, the proud are considered an enemy, a nemesis of God, a, a villain. So what I want to do today is a little case study. We're going to look at a man's life from the Old Testament. It's a king that we may not know a lot about. Really, there's not a lot in Scripture that, that we hear about him. But his life is a powerful illustration of the damage that pride can do. And from his life, I'd like for us to see how this, this villain of pride gets in the way and learn how we can see it in our life and deal with it. Uh, so we're going to go to 2 uh, Chronicles chapter 26 and read about a man named Uzziah, King Uzziah. He was a prince, and at the age of 16, he became king. Verses 3 through 5 of 2 Chronicles chapter 26 tell us this. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah, and she was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. And in those entry verses, we see several things that are key to a life with a good beginning. He was 16 years, and he became king, and he reigned for 52 years. 52 years is longer than David, longer than King Solomon. And, and for those years, he did what was right in the eyes of God. He had a good, uh, good model in his father, King Amaziah, who was also a godly king. He had listened to godly counsel, and this kind of an unknown prophet named Zechariah. And he, the Bible says, as long as he sought the Lord... He prospered. Seek the Lord, you prosper. Let's go on. Let's look at verses 6 and 7. He went to war against the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath, Jabna, and Ashdod. And he rebuilt towns near Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. And God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabs who lived in Gerbal and against the Meunites. The Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah and his, spread, his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become 
very powerful. And this good beginning extends. His kingdom is expanding. He's conquering many enemies. His fame spread, the Bible says, as far as the borders of Egypt. And so this chapter goes on to talk about the continued conquest and the expansion and the growth of the, uh, the, the, the reign of uh, Uzziah. Verse 13 tells us about his army. He said he had an army of over 300,000, 307,500 men trained for war. These weren't just guys that were some, some uh, ground roots militia, but these were, uh, uh, this was a standing army that was trained in war. And we read elsewhere that he equipped them with the best available uh, accoutrements of warfare. They had slings. They had ammunition for their slings. They had swords and spears. They had armor. That such was the greatness of King Uzziah's reign. Now some Bible commentaries, when they delineate this 26th chapter of 2 Chronicles, in the beginning, the, the, right above the first verse, they say a good beginning. And they could call it a great beginning because this was some fantastic stuff going on. But then there's a change. There's a change in his life. Look at verse 15 of 2 Chronicles 26. All this was going great. It says, His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. And that word until is a major, major transition in his life. He was, he was powerful and he flourished until, until he became powerful. He was expanding the territory, defeating his enemies, building up the army, providing for the people, getting respect everywhere he went. His fame was across the board, honored in every way. And it was all happening because he sought God. And God gave him, blessed him with success. But as his power increased, power and success increased, his reliance on God decreased. And he stopped seeing God's blessing in his life, and he started seeing the same thing, the expanse of his kingdom, the prosperous uh, kingdom, all the respect. He saw all of those things as his efforts, the results of his hard work or his ingenuity. It was, it was all him. And it got to the point, he didn't listen to God anymore. He didn't, those towers, those monuments, that respect, those were due him. And so he stopped paying attention to God. He stopped listening to his advisors. As a matter of fact, his advisors were fearful of telling him anything that he didn't want to hear. Then verse 16 tells us about a bad ending. The beginning of a bad ending. Verse 16 says this. Uh, but after he became powerful, Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. Now there's that ugly villain pride right there. Pride led to his downfall, and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Here's this king, now looking at his accomplishments, looking at how great he was, believing all the good things that people were saying about him, and he felt entitled. He felt he could go anywhere he wanted to. No questions asked, no answers given. He could just do it all. The rules didn't apply to him. So one day, the king, verse 16 tells us, 
went into the temple, into the innermost parts of the temple, to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now, kings weren't allowed in there. Craftsmen weren't allowed in there. Carpenters weren't allowed in there. Nobody but a priest was allowed to go into that place to offer this incense. And only they could go after a very serious ceremonial cleansing. But Uzziah went in. And he burned this incense on the altar. This incense that represented as, it, as, as the incense, the aroma of the incense rose. It was like the ascending of the prayers of the priest for the sins of the people. And King Uzziah was not authorized to do that. It was a great sin for the king to be in such a place and do what he did. But he was puffed up with pride and he didn't care. Verses 17 and 18. Azariah the priest with 80 other courageous priests, they had to be courageous or they would never go in and confront uh, Uzziah. They followed him in and they confronted King Uzziah. And they said, it is not right, Uzziah, to burn in for you to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and you will not be honored by the Lord your God. Nobody had talked to Uzziah like that, probably since he was a boy uh, with his mom and dad. And, and that instruction came from his mom and dad. But this was direct, and it was hard. And to, to Uzziah, it was infuriating. Verse 19 says, Uzziah who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn the incense, became angry. And he started going off on these priests. We don't know what he said. We don't know the, what, what words he may have used, but no doubt it was biting and it was loud and it was mean. Who do you think you are talking to me that way? I'm the king. Don't you know who I am? Who are you peasant priests to come and approach me like that? And the king just boiled over with these angry words. And the priest watched in horror and amazement as King Uzziah just spit out these angry, loud words as his forehead, it sounds unbelievable, but it's, this is what happened. As he was going off on these priests, his forehead popped open with these blisters and bubbles and and. Uh, flaking white sores of leprosy. Do you kind of get the feeling that God opposes the proud? I think so. I think so. Realizing what was happening, the priest quickly, this is in verse 20, usher the king out. Verse 20 says, when Azariah, the chief, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, looked at Uzziah that was just in, being enveloped in this leprosy, when they looked at him and they saw that the leprosy on his forehead, they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. God opposes the proud. Verse 21 says, King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous and banned from the temple of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. He lived in isolation. He lived in exclusion. He lost his rights as king after 52 years. 
Uh, and, and his life is summarized at the end of this chapter with the depressing three-word summary, he had leprosy. And if we don't recognize this villain of pride in our life, it will destroy our life. It will destroy our relationships with others. It will destroy our relationships with God. So let's look at Uzziah's life and very, very quickly share three main points about how we are to deal, understand, and deal with pride. First of all, we need to see that pride can separate us from others. Pride is one of those things that it's so much easier to see. I can see it in you. <laughs> I don't see it so much in me. You look in the mirror and you don't see it. Not very easily, but we see it in others. We recognize when somebody else is acting out of pride or they're not acting because of pride. But we don't see it in us when we act out of pride or we fail to act because of pride. For instance, have you ever hesitated to offer an apology because that person was more wrong than you are? Maybe. Probably. Have you ever been in an argument and you were so sure that you were right that you kept arguing way past time that issue should have been put to bed? Just two common examples of how pride can enter in and kill relationships. Pride keeps us from admitting fault and accepting responsibility. And it tricks us into thinking we're better than somebody else or that we're in a different category. Maybe you can relate to this. I know two of us might be able to relate to this. Uh, timeshare people, timeshare salesmen kind of appeal to that hot button of pride, don't they? You may have never been in one of those sales pitches, but sooner or later, they explain to you this fabulous deal that just makes all the sense in the world that you do this. And if you don't, if you don't sign this, if you don't take advantage of this opportunity, there's only two reasons why you wouldn't. One, you're not smart enough to understand what a blessing this is. And two, you can't afford it. Pride, hot button, push that button. I would imagine, well, any of you ever, I'm not asking for a show of hands, and mine are in my pockets. But at those times, you just want to punch them in the nose, don't you? But the only thing laying there is not a boxing glove, there's an ink pen. So you pick up the ink pen, show you how smart I am. You see that? I signed it. Show you how smart I am. Show you what I can't afford. Uh, and then you spend, you spend the next 10 years thinking, what did I just do? Uh, don't call me Uzziah. Uh, but pride can make us think we're in a different category. You know, we're, we're different. You can't talk to me like that. You know, the, don't you know who I am? But not only... Not only does pride separate us from others. Uh, well, let, let, me, let me just say one way that it does that uh, is by making us think that if we show a vulnerable side of us, if we become approachable, it might hurt our reputation. Some people need help. But pride won't let them ask for help. Some relationships need to be restored. And it could start, it could begin by just a simple conversation with a couple of words that start like, I'm sorry. But pride stands in the way of those conversations taking place. Some people uh, will not allow pride uh, 
to, to, show, to allow them to give compliments or speak words of affection because they think if they're too affirming, that will make them look weak. And my pride can't, can't handle that. So pride can separate us from others. Pride can separate us from God. Uh, pride not only separates us from others, but as Uzziah found out, it separates us from God. As we discussed earlier, pride causes us to sin and opens up all of these other uh, sin opportunities and sin ultimately separates us from God. Huh. C.S. Lewis, in speaking about pride, I just love this quote. C.S. Lewis said this about pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all of that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other, uh, every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Proverbs 21 verse 4 says, Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the unplowed uh, field of the wicked produce sin. Pride in particular gives man the false illusion, and Uzziah learned this. Pride gives you the sense... Uh, the, the illusional sense that you don't need God any longer. Uh, you, you're fine without Him. Uzziah learned that. David wrote about that in Psalm 10 verse 4. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek Him, does not seek God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Those who are dealing with this villain of pride don't even seek God. And there's no room in their hearts for them and God. How tragic. When you factor in that God hates pride, it's understandable that there's going to be a separation between God and man. Proverbs 16 verse 5 says, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Thankfully, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, not only to redeem us, but to show us how to live in humility. So how do we deal with pride? Very quickly, very simply, when it comes to dealing with pride, we simply need to look to Jesus, the Redeemer of all mankind. He had every reason, every human reason, to be prideful. But his life was just exactly the opposite. He spent his life uh, serving others and modeling a life of humility. As a matter of fact, one of the very last pictures we have of Christ in that upper room before, uh, before the betrayal, before, before uh, Pilate, before the crucifixion, is of Jesus on his knees washing the feet of the other disciples. This is what it says in John 13, 14, 14 15, and 16. Now that I, this is Jesus, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. So don't allow pride to enter your heart and create a life of arrogance, but instead repent of your pride. Ask God to give you a new heart of humility and a heart of service toward others. And when you feel tempted to act... Uh, in pride, intentionally do just the opposite and walk humbly. The last two things 
You want to let go of pride, you've got to do two things, and they're, they're connected. You can't separate them. View yourself accurately and view God accurate, accurately. You know you're not going to impress the engineers at Boeing with that paper airplane you made. You're not going to impress Tiger Woods with how far you can drive a golf ball. You're not going to go to LeBron James and say, I got game. And neither are you going to be able to stand before a holy God. In your goodness, with your accomplishments, and stand in front of Him and say, look at me. Look at me. Because that's the God in, whom, in front of whom you're standing is the one who gave you all of these abilities to begin with. He is all-loving. He's all-powerful. He's all-present. He's all-knowing. And we can't stand before Him and say, look at me. The Bible is teaching us that one day, pride will be vanquished. Relationships will no longer be poisoned by this villain of pride. And there will come a day when everyone from the most powerful to the most obscure will all do exactly the same thing. Every person will fall to their knees, each one, and in every tongue, acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now you think about that just for a minute. Every president, every world leader, every Hollywood celebrity, every Fortune 500 CEO on their knees acknowledging the deity and the lordship of Jesus. Every person you work with, everyone in your family, every friend, every person you've ever met before Jesus alongside of you, everyone crying, holy, holy, holy. For you alone are worthy. It's not me. <laughs> I'm nothing compared to a holy God. I'm nothing. But don't let pride stand in your way from saying holy, holy, holy today. Don't wait till that day. Don't wait till, till He comes, till it's too late. And the Bible teaches that there is a time when it's too late. But acknowledge Him now. And simply the invitation... To follow Jesus is the invitation to unfriend pride. Will you pray with me please? God, thank you for these moments that you've given. That we can share a part of your word. And Lord, we pray that as we talk about pride, that, that we will see that pride in our heart. Because we know you see it. We acknowledge that you're aware of every weakness, every sin, every villain in our life. But God, we pray that you would give us the strength, the brokenness to give that to you and to become new. Every day, may we ask you for a new heart. May we ask that people, when they look at us, they don't see you or see us. But we want them to see you and your son. And God, we pray just now that if there are those in our presence who, who need to take a step of faith, and I can't imagine that there's any of us here that do not need that step. Uh, but Lord, if there's one that can make a, a personal step, a, a public step, that needs to make a public step, we pray that you would give them courage today to do that, and that your will might be accomplished in all of our life as we surrender more every day 
to the one who gave his life for us. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We love him. And we pray in his name. Amen. This morning we're going to have a a time of response. And if there's a decision that you need to make, whether that's a decision to accept Christ and to be uh, buried in baptism, uh, maybe you need to just step out and say, Hey, I need somebody to pray with me. I've got these challenges. I can't deal with them alone. Someone will pray with you. I'll pray with you. Any of our church leaders will pray with you. If you want to make this your church home, Uh, We ask that you let us know that today. But as we sing our time of response, would you stand with us? And would you sing? And I'll be down here. uh, Be glad to share anything on your mind.